live on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. A new day brings new topics. Our sports talk brings extensive debate and analysis by the host, expert contributors, and callers. We discuss it all. Join us weekdays at 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. Welcome to Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. We're starting a new week here, and we're excited about it. Going to get in my co-host, Duck Riley. Welcome to the show, sir. How you doing, Precious? <laughs> <laughs> I have recovered, Duck. I don't have a choice but to move on. <laughs> and I guess I'm just going to live vicariously through my co-host, Tim Moore, who all he wants to do is just post J-E-T-S now. Coach Tim, I mean, Tim Moore, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, J-E-T-S. Listen to him, just, Duck. Just, just, Duck, listen to him. <laughs> but then again, it was just a giant. <laughs> it, oh, ooh, it was just a giant. <laughs> the last 30 seconds, the last 30 seconds, um, Zach Wilson looked like the man, for sure. Um, yeah. He came through. Yeah, he he looked. He actually looked good yesterday. I have to give him credit there at the end of the game. He didn't look good all day, but he looked mm-hmm. good at the end of the ball game. Uh, he was clutch. Yeah, I have to give it to yeah. him. He was clutch. He he came through. As a matter of fact, we did. We know cross country last night. A new show on Never Had It So Good with Coach Richardson and Coach Rucker. And I said, "How are you doing, Gerald Richardson?" And he said, "Go Jets." I said, okay, here we go. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's Jets one, he says. So, um, but I'm excited it, about it. this week. This week's um, broadcasting. I know we'll get more into NFL and college football in the second hour. We'll do that. But right now, we want to welcome in um, Mr. Everett Scott. How are you, sir? I am doing fine. Can everyone hear me clearly? I had some tough troubles last we, week. <laughs> We got you clear now, loud, <laughs> like you're sitting here Out, with us. <laughs> outstanding, outstanding, and some exciting uh, NFL football is going on for sure. So hello yeah. to you, to Brother Dave, Precious, and Tim. Good to, good to connect with you guys again. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, and it's Princess, not Precious. Precious. Oh, my goodness, did I say Precious? <laughs> Forty yeah, clip. yeah. Please forgive me. Thank Please you. Please forgive That's me. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no hey, one hey, ever accused me of that. <laughs> that's, a new, that's a new name. Okay. <laughs> I thought they were All synonymous, right. but I'm going to stick with Chris. <laughs> Thank you very Absolutely. much. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. All right, West Virginia, be nice, be nice. <laughs> Let's get started. We're still waiting on Alexis, but um, we can get started, Duck, and, and then pipe her in. Let me know how you want to handle it. Okay, uh, you always. I'm gonna let you start off while I try to contact Chrissy. Uh, so you always got a good okay. question for everybody. All right. All right. Okay. Then I'll start here because it's been puzzling me, Tim and Everett. Um, I want to start with, um, or just ask because I'm worried and I want to see him do well. Um, and, and that's Deshaun Watson. And Everett, I'll start with you because I know or. I guess I feel I've read that everything in the contract is, is guaranteed money. Um, I've read that Brady Quinn says he's not playing and doesn't seem like he wants to play, and he knows he has a guaranteed contract, so he's not worried about playing. Your thoughts overall, um, just as a man and as a former agent and an attorney, 
what do you think is happening with Deshaun Watson? He's been cleared to play. He's not playing. And, and what do you want to see for him? Well, you know, I think in all of these things, that you know, there's a certain thing that we miss, and it's the human factor. You know, it's yeah. very easy to go to the language of the contract. The contract is what it is, and particularly these days, you have your guaranteed uh, language there. Uh, and unless you do something that violates a, um, a morality clause, if you will, you know, or creates an off-the-field incident, you know, mm-hmm. he's ex- <clears throat> the, the expectation is that every week and every day he's going to bring his, uh, his very best efforts. The unknown factor is we really don't know what's going on in his head, per se. Um, yeah. And as much as we like to think that we're on top of every aspect of them physically, we may not know that either. I think that Deshaun is a heck of a talent. There's no question about that. I know that he's overcome. I love the comeback story. I always like it when a person comes back and they, they come back strong. Well, in his particular case, I'm wait, I saw some signs of his brilliance here and there, and um, it would be good to see that, you know, him get into a, uh, some consistency. My question off the record is who's around him, okay? That usually yeah. is an impact, okay? Yeah, I like that, the human factor. And um, I'm going to go ahead and get um, Alexis Cobbs in here and welcome her to the show, and then, Tim, I'll get to you. Um, Ms. Cobbs, welcome to the show. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you taking time. And the question is, um, Ms. Cobb, is that we're talking about Deshaun Watson, and this is just something um, that was not maybe scheduled, but I, I was just asking because I want to see him succeed. I'm here in Columbia, South Carolina, so I got a, got a chance to see him up close, um, not too far from Clemson. Um, for for quite some time and see him perform and be um, you know a face of the of the team and I, I want to see him succeed and 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 like Everett said you know have a comeback story and a complete one Tim Tim your thoughts though about Deshaun Watson and then I'll go to Alexis um, well, as you've been watching this unfold yeah I like you am a uh, Deshaun Watson fan I'm a, I'm actually a fan I don't know if you're a fan I know you want him to do well but yeah, I'm a fan I have been. Um, mm-hmm. and um I remember his days at Clemson uh I remember watching the first year they played Alabama in the finals and I and I looked at his eyes early in the game and I thought that that he was very very stressed that you could see the stress in his eyes but he performed so strongly that night against all odds. Nobody expected Clemson to play against Alabama very well. They lost by yeah. two points. The next year they came back and won on the last play of the game. And Deshaun Watson was a big part mm-hmm. of that. Uh, what, two years, three years ago, uh, he was the best quarterback in the NFL. And I have to think, and, and yeah, I used to live in Cleveland, so, so I have sort of a, a soft spot for the Cleveland Browns, even though I'm not really a Cleveland Browns fan. Um, I have to think that the competitor that I saw uh, in those years that I watched him play is still there. Uh, and that uh, the reason he's not playing is that, uh, whatever it was saying, that he, there's something going on that he, that he feels that the doctors are not seeing, um, that he knows about his shoulder that he may be not ready to play. I don't think it's a matter of him tanking uh, because the Browns are a pretty good football team. 
And yeah. I think if he if he was going to be at full strength, I think he'd be out there. So I, I just think there's some things we don't know about him that he knows about his body uh, that he wants to be full strength when he gets out there. Yeah, I like that. And and I would have to think so too. Uh, Alexis, your thoughts about Deshaun Watson um, and his comeback story and maybe being fouled just a little bit because of the injury. Um, you know, and I and I I guess I really got attracted to this because some of the media, Brady Quinn, um, um called him out and, and questioned his heart and his desire and his thought process and I don't know how you can do that with anybody. Your thoughts about this and then we'll move on to some other questions. Uh so Deshaun Watson fascinates me. Uh he was always somebody that I was rooting for and I still yeah. continue to do so. Um, I believe that a healthy Deshaun Watson is almost unstoppable. Um, And I simply do not know, and I I agree with what the other gentleman was saying, in that I do not believe that he is 100%, and -hmm. I don't believe that we have the whole story. Um, And, you know, nobody wants to put themselves in a position where they are not at full strength because at the end of the day you're going to be blamed um, or, you know, it's going to be your fault if they lose and your fault if they win, right? And yeah. um, for him in particular, you know, Cleveland is an unforgiving place. Uh, yes, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Cleveland, <laughs> we are, they are our arch rivals when it comes to football specifically. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it is an unforgiving place, and you don't want to be in a situation where, um, you're not at full strength and you're trying to give your all and then <clears throat> excuse me and then at the end of the day because you're not at full strength you're not able to compete um, traditionally they have not had the defense that they have now they are very you know they're they're pretty stout right now in terms of some of the talent that they brought together and that um, I have a very I, I'm not a huge Cleveland Browns fan so <laughs> And that nonsense of a team that they have. But, you know, frankly, uh, frankly, you know, when we're talking about this particular um, quarterback, I believe that there are layers, right? So he has been placed in a position where because of his background and because of you know, the bad publicity that he got. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't want to put himself in a position where he has now even that much more scrutiny um, and not at full strength, right? And so certainly we can root for him, but at the end of the day, if the man is not healthy, then I think that he, you know, should be very cautious about what he does with his own body, and especially because there are so many people that are rooting against him even in the city, um, because of right. just what has has happened. And, you know, frankly, and I'm not going to say too much, but, you know, they gave him, at his former institution, they gave him $100 million. And they traded yeah. away a player. And when they traded away a player, they didn't ask him any input on it, and he asked for a trade. And then all of a sudden, his life got blown up, right, um, because of, all the leaks and all this and that and that. And if I believe that there are other things that were working in terms of trying to tarnish the man's reputation. And so from my perspective, I'm going to root for him. 
I am always rooting for, you know, people that are young black quarterbacks who um, are talented. I'm always inclined to root um, for those kind of individuals. But, you know, I'm rooting for him because I want him to be able to be, you know, the Deshaun Watson that we all know and love who is special. So that's all I've got to say there. Okay. All right. Duff, you want to bring this on home and get started? Yes, sir, Tim. What do you have? Can, can, can I add something to, to what Alexis says? Uh, you know, I lived in Cleveland for 12 years, um, and uh, she's exactly right. That fan base is one of the best fan bases in, the, in professional sports. Uh, mm-hmm. You saw how they mobbed the downtown area in Cleveland when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the, won the championship. And, and it, it, was, it was just amazing people around the country to see that. If the Cleveland Browns were to ever win an, uh, a Super Bowl, that would look like nothing. That is a Cleveland Browns <laughs> city. It is a Cleveland yeah. Browns city. Regardless of what the, the Indians go in the World Series, the Cavs winning championships, that would, the Cleveland Browns winning would dwarf anything you've seen coming out of that city before. Yeah, I think the support is, is astronomical. Um, Duck? Yeah, just real quick. Mine's is simple, man. Uh, I, I agree with everybody on here so far. You know, it's uh, hidden. Something's hidden. He's injured, and they're not letting it out. Uh, and I'm, I don't blame him. You know, he has a reputation, you know, as being one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And if you hurt, you hurt. It's, ain't no two ways about it. And you go in there, and first thing they're going to do is he's making all this money, and he's playing like this, so – you know, all the naysayers, the haters and stuff are going to jump on the bandwagon. So, hey, get healthy and, and look, and let's, let's, let's get this thing done because they got a shot to get in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I just had, just had one quick circling back from my initial statement, and that is we talk about physical health, and I've seen this over the years. There's the mental side of the physical health too. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times – particularly with the stakes of the game now. And I agree with everything that has been said. Hello, Alexis. Welcome to the call. Great comments. His mindset is what concerns me because often, and we, I know this, and Duck, you know this, as competitive athletes, when we do have a physical issue of some sort, uh, we look to deal with it mentally first. And that's what you're seeing. But that's what you're seeing right now. So that's that's my final comment on that. Yeah, I like that. Okay, Doc. Okay, I start off with Alexis. Alexis, uh, for the listeners, kind of uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> hello. I'm sorry that I'm running a little bit later today when I was coming in, but um, today was just a lot going on. Uh so my name is Alexis Cobb. I am a, an attorney. I own a sports agency. I represent coaches and NFL athletes, um, and I do just about everything. Um, we have several individuals who we try to make their lives better, right? And so no day looks exactly like the next day. Um, and then I do also uh, practice as well. So anything that can be born out of 
an athlete or a coach is what I'll deal with in terms of um, on the legal side of life as well. And so, you know, that's the best way to describe me. Um, I have, you know, the gentlemen that I represent are, you know, some of them are just, you know, pleased and flourishing. And um, I like to represent guys who are um, fighters, um, who are, when they get on the field or whether in coaching capacity or in a playing capacity, that they are giving their absolute all. And so that's what excites me. And um, so that's who I am. Okay. Uh, same question, uh, Everett. Okay. You want me to be brief, though, right? It's only two of you today. It's two of you today. Okay. So all right. All right. Do, just, do, just, do you. I'm just, I'm just, uh, it's just a pleasure. As I said earlier, <laughs> um, a pleasure to uh, meet you, Alexis Cobb. You're doing great things out there. And uh, I love hearing that the next generation of folks are out here making it happen. So I was, uh, you know, I went to Howard University. I had the pleasure of playing linebacker there for a little bit, a little bit of time. And as I left uh, my path, uh, towards agency and an attorney was an interesting one because I had the pleasure of of um, uh, being in the Philadelphia area. So during the Randall Cunningham era, uh, while I was in law school, it was uh, bestowed to look for endorsement deals for a lot of these guys, and I was still in law school at the time. So I kind of fell my way into the agency world, uh, came out practicing primarily in the uh, small business corporate employment space, and then found my way into the agency space. I will we'll talk about it later, but definitely one of the few only black agents uh, around at that time uh, in the uh, early 90s and uh, moved on, had the opportunity to be special counsel to, as we've talked about in the past, to the Black Coaches Association um, to um, move on from there to uh, even get involved in the Fritz Pollard Alliance there on the NFL basis and, and uh, NFL level and try to really hone in on the issue that we see today on, on black coaches, you know, we looked at it from the collegiate and the NFL side and it's kind of in the middle of that uh, under the executive directorship of Floyd Keith. And uh, finally we have a day, a situation today where we can um, uh, talk about the Deion Sanders and others that are at the forefront. So I just consider myself a champion of people's uh, rights and, and purpose. And uh, even though I'm, uh, not practicing at the time or even in the agency space, boy, do I threaten to want to come back every day because I see things happening that uh, particularly are making me uh, or getting my attention. So kudos to those that are championing and doing good things like Ms. Cobb. Okay. Well, I want to stay with you, Everett, because I want to, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of talk and I just want to hear from a black agent's viewpoint. Uh, how hard is it to get white clients and Hispanic clients? So that's an interesting question because, and let me just start off that I, my answer is a bifurcated one. It's a, it's one that, that neatly fits on the issue of 
I feel that the uh, the issue of choosing an agent should never be based upon race, gender, or any other measure. It should be based upon competence and your ability to get the job done. Even if it's demonstrative that you've done the job in the past, I think it should be uh, that should be the criteria. The reality is that you know our society and even in sports and even in the selection of other professionals in our lives and not just agency, we do have a, a, a comfort zone of choosing folks that, um, uh, and that, are, that we're comfortable with. So I'll just say that it's, it's in the beginning when I started, um, I think I had kind of an advantage in that my cousin was a Chapel Hill graduate that happened to get drafted with Lawrence Taylor at the time, it made it very wow. easy. Well, his name was Harry Stanback. Uh, he's there. He's still around. He's still with us. Harry Stanback, who was made it possible to go into Chapel Hill and to talk to these kids, no matter who they were. Jeff Saturdays, the Chris Kell Dorsey, and ultimately, I ended up with a white quarterback by the name of Chris Keldorf, um, who I don't think that I got him just because of my color. I think that he was in a unique situation and needed an agent that was willing to work and go the distance because he had fell off the grid a little bit coming out the same year as the Ryan Lease and Peyton Mannings and those guys. He was at an injury. So, therefore, um, he would, no matter what color you were, can you get the job done? So it's a very difficult path that we, that we navigate on, uh, across in terms of, okay, why – can't I just be chose or selected on the basis of my competence versus my color? The icons around me at the time, God rest his soul, are, were the Eugene Parkers, NFL agents, the Roosevelt uh, um, Barnes, and some of those guys that, you know, were icons. The Lamonts, some of the guys that I'm talking about had, or, or maybe still around, some of them have moved on. But let me tell you, there wasn't but a handful of us, and I was pleasured to have myself in that bubble. The main, the bottom line is, are you competent? And this is where I started advocating, asking, and hiring female interns because I talk about this later. I felt like they had a really strong. They, if there's anybody that should be in the business of representing athletes, and particularly black athletes. It should be females who deserve and should be at the at the table right along with us. So I'll wrap up my answer saying that the perfect off. firm. The perfect firm is a firm that has a little bit of a male, female, white, and black, and that way you get everybody. Okay. Uh, Alexis, same question. So there's always a layer when dealing with uh, going after athletes, um, I have I have a, a a interesting response because I don't know that I've gone after um, Hispanic players, so I can't talk about that from a, a source of experience. Um, the issue that I run into much more so when dealing with. Caucasian or Hispanic um, or black 
is that I'm a female first. And so there are, um, that was always a situation that had to be maneuvered and navigated um, when dealing with these families where they're, you know, it's easy for them to understand the concept of, well, you used to be a player, and so you get it, right? Um, And so having to navigate the gender was always um, a primary situation. Now, life has kind of evolved because I got uh, certified back in 2010, right? So, um, or 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. And so life has evolved in that now people are okay to a certain extent with um, the female agent component. But that was not always the case. And so from my perspective, it's not necessarily an issue when it comes to going after um, a certain kind of uh, race. Um, I think that when you're dealing with players, you look at the kind of players that you want and you go after them regardless of what they are. Um, And the barriers that have been, um, that have presented themselves aren't necessarily because of the race component. Um, There has been some um, frustration, frustrating moments when it comes to gender, but you learn to navigate that with experience. And, you know, in some instances, we would literally push our, you know, male employees. I'd have them go deal with it and get the guy um, because we knew from our research that we were dealing with somebody who was um, perhaps sexist or dealing with um, components that, you know, they were a little bit more comfortable with people that didn't look like me but people that looked like others. And so you just do your research on an individual and you um, create that um, that relationship. Um, what I find, though, is that it really doesn't matter at the end of the day whether a person is Caucasian, whether they're black, whether Hispanic, um, whether I'm a female, I'm a male. At the end of the day, as long as you are providing this service that is um, something that is substantive and that you can build a relationship You'll have clients that stay with you for years. Um, You'll have clients that will call you throughout the evenings, even after they retire, um, asking for advice or needing you to talk to somebody else. Um, You know, the point is that you're trying to be an individual that is um, substantive and that you have a consistent Um, flow of communication back and forth. And what I find is some of my best clients and even my former clients, because life is evolving, you know, nobody's in this industry forever, right? Um, You have a span of time. But what we try to do is I try to maintain a relationship with all of my clients and my former clients, and they become individuals who are able to say, hey, um, there's a woman I need you to talk to. There's an agent that you should listen. I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and so I find myself not going after players, but players or coaches or others are referring individuals to me um, more so than when we first started 
um, and I was just, you know, pounding the pavement with my list. Um, and so that's just what happens as time evolves. And so for me, the question of the race component of how does it, you know, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, all that, um, it really is a wash when you're talking about the talent available and the relationships that are um, garnered from dealing with these individuals. And then this is the other component. I had a guy who we were going after, and I ended up not getting him. And um, I was going after him pretty hard, yet I felt like I had made some inroads, um, but I couldn't give them, like some of these uh, people over time, now there's an NIL component and you can do things, but before it was, there was uh, resources that would be offered to individuals. We could not do that and would not do that. Um, but people were getting all kinds of gifts and things of that nature. And um, that was just the world that you were living in. And this particular person ended up, you know, signing with somebody else. And it was years later that they came to me and they were like, listen, um, you might not remember me, but you tried to sign me. I ended up not dealing with you, but this is my world, and they wanted me to, you know, help them deal with an endorsement and things like that. And they were like, I know that I didn't go with you, but you made such an impact on me that I've been talking about you for years. Um, and I just wanted to know if you would be willing to work with me on this particular matter. And I was like, absolutely, no worries at all. But those are the kind of things that you do when you are creating relationships in the beginning, right, um, in that if you have integrity and you're dealing with individuals in transparency, then even if you don't get that individual, um, your reputation will speak for itself. Okay. I want to stay with you on that because I want to know about you know, being black athletes, black parents, and and dealing with because a lot of times I know that we don't always get the black athlete either. So, have you ever had the issues with the parents more so than the player? <laughs> My issue is always the parents. It's never <laughs> the player. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's funny. Um, one of the things, so I feel like I have a strength. Because a lot of players that I deal with that are black players, um, many times they have single moms. So they're used to dealing with black women. Um, and, you know, it becomes, it can be a strength for me. The issue can be when, um, you know, sometimes parents have a vision for their child um, that doesn't always line up with their child's vision, right, the client's vision. And um, I have to navigate both sides. So I've got to talk to the parents about, you know, what, we've, what we feel like we can do for their son. And I've got to talk to the son about what, he think, what we feel like we can do for him. And the son might want X, Y, and Z and the parents might want A, B, and C, and I've got to tr strike the balance, right? Um, and so, you know, for me, dealing with these parents 
are um, that's the we do more research. Well, I won't say more, but we do um, a lot of research on the parents themselves, um, and not just the athlete, uh, because we find that you know, sure you can have the athlete, and you can even have dad, but if mom doesn't like you then you're going to have some significant barriers. And you might get the kid, but you're not going to keep the kid. Um, And so that's part of, you know, what we've run into. Um, I find that the same can be said with coaches, right? When you're dealing with coaches um, and you're trying to represent them, when they have a significant other, we include them in the conversation. So when we're recruiting coaches, um, I'm one of those individuals who will also have a conversation with their wife or have a conversation with their partner or long-term girlfriend um, just so that they can feel included so that they understand this new person in our world that is making decisions for us, telling me to pack up and move and go across the country and work here, this person is not a stranger. She is somebody who is um, impacting our world for the best, and she understands the vision, right? Um, And that's something that, you know, it's the same with athletes where everybody has to be, I try to get everybody on the same page, and then I have to explain to the parents, listen, I represent your son. I represent your son. And so... I understand that there are going to be certain times when you might have questions for me. You're not going to like my answers. And I've got to be upfront about that, right? Um, Because my job is to protect and to push and to promote the client. And so many times I'll have situations where the significant other might not be, um, they don't love everything that's going on in the world, right? I just have to navigate and maneuver and ensure that everybody's on um, the same page and we all know that we're all working for the same um, common goal. Okay. uh, Same question, Everett. Yeah, David. uh, This is an interesting, you know, slope that we're dealing with because typically if we look – if we look if we look into our the genealogy of a player, first of all, you're lucky if you get both parents in the equation. That's like an anomaly. Typically, and this is just being real about it, uh, whether I'm in the DR looking to sign a, uh, a a new baseball player or whether I'm looking to sign an NFL player, uh, I've seen it in the on the NBA side early on. You're going to be dealing with mom. Sometimes there's going to be a father figure, and it's not all the time going to be dad. It could be an older brother. It could be a cousin. We laughed about this a couple of episodes ago about Uncle Louie. Sometimes Uncle Louie's at the table, okay, and he has his own agenda. So I think what has to happen really early on, you have to set the stage, okay? First of all, you know, very often the players, in in particularly during the era that I came along, 
They've never seen anyone like you before <laughs> in, in, in a lot of ways. They're not used to seeing a black male or a little alone a black female. They're not used to seeing either one. And in, 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 a, in, in an information or an informative posture coming to represent their kid, okay? And very often I was told at the combine, this is, you know, early on in the combine, whether it's in Indianapolis or even before that, that they would say, why didn't you come to our school? We've never seen anyone that looked like you before. In other words, they've never seen really a black agent. So I think that when you're dealing with parents, you stand on the principle. First of all, I said this before, meet them where they are, you know. Don't choose a fancy restaurant to meet them out at. Go to their house, okay? If they offer you something to eat, you eat. Don't make yourself above it and meet them head on. And very often you'll find out with mom, I mean, she she may not be as substantively up to par on all the issues as you think, but don't overlook her in terms of her doing her homework for where things are. Of course, you can avoid the questions, uh, you know, in terms of what what is my son's draft status. I love those questions, like you, you're walking in with a crystal ball. And I don't care how much research and how much data that you have, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get caught with those particular questions. So I think, you know, every now and then you'll see an, a father in the equation. I remember years and years ago, I did not, obviously, I didn't get him as a client. I remember talking to Larry Fitzgerald's family. His mother had passed along uh, prior to that, but I remember talking to his dad. I remember how much he was involved in the process. So I think, once again, if you're competent and, you know, you may have, you know, I've had players that have moved on from becoming players. Some of them are commentators on television to this day, Barrett Brooks being one here in the local Philadelphia area, you know, you may want to have, you have to call one of those guys to give the uh, family a call and have a conversation, you know, about what that process is about. The biggest, your biggest, your biggest job is to informing people to the process, whether it's uh, pro day, whether it's um, the combine, what happens if he doesn't go to the combine? Talk about the all-star games. What are, what are your relationships with the general managers and pro personnel? What, you know, nowadays, it's a little different. The fact is every NFL team has every dossier or every, every file on every player in the NCAA because the information is there. Technology. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're not going to tell a team anything about a player that they don't already know. It, it, it angers me when I hear of agents coming up with a spin. I'm like, no, nah, that's not accurate. They already know. <laughs> so getting back to my original premise, your, your, your job, you know, you don't represent just that player. You represent the family. Your job is to be honest. Your job is to help them get through a very foreign process. They've never been through it before unless they had a couple kids to go to the NFL. That does happen, you know. But your job is to move them through that particular process. Okay. Uh, staying with you, uh, Everett, we, we know how the NIL is going and a lot of 
the male athletes are getting pretty pretty substantial amount of money versus the female. So how is this going to work out, NIL versus Title IX? That is a very popular subject. You don't have to be a lawyer or an agent to figure out that eventually you're going to have a collision between the two. Title IX has been around 50 years. It celebrated its 50th anniversary last year. The language, and don't quote me, basically says that no person in the U.S. on the basis of sex shall be excluded from participating or denied benefits uh, you know, that, that from a program receiving federal financial assistance. Guess what? The NCAA schools all fall neatly to being subject to Title IX. It eliminates or is intended to eliminate the discriminatory uh, or the disparate actions between male and female uh, regarding the athletic programs, the interests, the benefits and opportunities. Benefits and opportunities is where the NIL lives. Title IX, federal law, it's important I say that because it is supreme to any state law. The NIL, although it came about as a result of a U.S. Supreme Court case, um, I think it was uh, United States versus Austin, back in 2021, the Supreme Court ruled that it was in violation of the Sherman, the Sherman Act, Sherman Antitrust Act. And it said that because it felt that every individual, every student should be able to go out and enjoy the benefits of its name, image, and likeness. Well, that's nice that the Supreme Court did that, but it left it to the states to regulate and to figure out, and it also left it to the schools to figure out the particular um, rules. We now know that three weeks ago the NCAA had a meeting on the NIL because they know they have to get their arms around that as best as they can. Why? They have to protect the kids. So the kids, right now, the kids don't know the authenticity or the basis of where those NIL deals are really coming from. You have this new thing out called, not, not that new, in the old days, it's simply a booster. They're now called collectives. So now the university's problem is that, okay, it can take the action to try to regulate the NIL and make sure everything is equal amongst men and women, but let's, who are we kidding? Who, who, the popularity of the men's football team on the NIL compared to the women's volleyball team or fencing team is not equal. Well, you know, it, popular as it, as it may not seem, the, the two, they don't have to be equal on that level, but it can't be a blatant situation where the university has some constructive knowledge of there being a disparity, which, if I can try to be brief about it, points in the direction of education, education, education. That's the only way the universities keep themselves out of a bind because if they have any knowledge about the collective units, which are boosters, which are an entity, uh, a collective, for example, is the entity that was created as a nonprofit to give the vehicles 
the Dodge Rams to the 85 Utah students last month. And that particular situation, if it, if the university was involved in that, then that essentially means that they had constructive notice or constructive knowledge of there might being some disparity situations there because if it, it, it and I'm and I'm not giving a legal opinion on this, but somewhere out there there's going to be a smart lawyer that comes around and says, okay, I don't think the females, I think the females should get trucks too. My volleyball, you know, we what happened to us? Um, and when that happens. You know, it doesn't mean automatic liability to the NCAA particular school, but it certainly creates all eyes on us. So what you're having to wrap up is a, is a, is a situation where the two are headed for each other. And there's no what, – what the NCAA should do that it has not yet, even in its policies and guidelines that it reviewed just three weeks ago – it's still silent on, on, on NIL with Title IX. I do not believe that they can do that much longer, okay? The disparity okay. is too, too, too large. Got you. All right, Alexis, same question. You know, I agree with um, Everett. Uh, this is a really, really difficult situation because – so many times when you're dealing with um, institutions, you're dealing with situations where um, certain sports programs, especially at um, lower level institutions or even, it's it's all over really, but certain sports programs are funding a lot of the times the sports, right? So, um, for instance, you might have a Division One football team who's playing money games, and maybe a Division One AA or something like that who's playing these money games, and they're funding all the other um, athletic departments. And you know, then you add in the NIL component. Well, the football program usually, in my experience, or the basketball program. Um, those institutions are, um, for the men, a lot more profitable than some of the other um, organizations on campus that are in the, in the athletic department. Um, and these kinds of Title IX matters are always going to come up because, you know, uh, athletes can draw from NIL and you know, especially with football, like there's so many more, just the way the, the, the amount of players on a team, just in general, just practically speaking, um, there is more bang for your buck when dealing with NIL deals, um, especially when talking about the collective and certain institutions are, you know, they're really good about being able to you know, say, hey, we're going to do it this way, and then everybody gets a piece of the pie, whereas certain other institutions are not as stringent um, with that. So, you know, from my perspective, there is going to be an issue that arises, but but it's inevitable because, you know, that issue in the college world 
if we're being honest, the same issue of disparity in terms of, you know, just actual pay, you know, that exists in the professional world. So if you're talking about, let's talk about the NBA. You know, NBA, the men are getting millions of dollars, just millions. You know, even your worst player um, or your most obsolete player, like the Dickie Simpkins of the world, they are getting much more money um, than, you know, the best player on your best WNBA team, okay? Brittany uh, spent time in jail because she was trying to (laughs) supplement her income, right? Um, This is just the reality of the world that we are in today. And that, you know, when you're talking about – the sports world in college is not much different than the sports world in um, professional uh, world in terms of even you, we saw this with soccer, right? There was all, there's all kinds of um, just inequality in terms of the amount of money that one profession might be played, uh, paid, even if they're not doing as well as the next. Um, and that's just the business of it. And, uh, I'm not going to talk about whether or not there's fairness involved and all that, but what I will say is NIL is the same kind of situation where there are going to be organizations that will always pay more because that particular sport is getting, you know, eyes are being um, are on them. They they want their product to be in the forefront. Um, they're going to get more bang for their buck rather than giving it to um, what I believe the example that the previous gentleman said was the fencing or the woman's fencing team. Like they're not going to get that same kind of bang for their buck. Um, And so, you know, these are the kinds of things that, yes, there's going to be a clash. No, I don't think that it's going to be anytime soon. And no, I don't think that this is going to be something that, um, I really don't believe that Title IX is going to be something that we are going to have to – I think the law will carve itself out, I'll put it that way, Um, because there is not going to be a world, in my mind, where everybody is going to ever get equal NIL deals at any institution. from a men and a woman's standpoint. That just, to me, sounds like a fantasy world, and that would be great, but I just don't see it happen. Okay. Uh, Princess and Tim? I'm sorry, what did you say? I I do have a... Go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. Yeah, I was I was just going to ask a question, um, and we I know we're sort of tight on time now, but I want to uh, to, to get to both of you if you can give me a, a brief uh, answer um, with regard to how the NIL and the transfer portal has has affected college football. You get kids moving around, uh, you know, you know from year to year to multiple schools sometimes, and there's no sense of, uh, of loyalty to anything other than the best deal they can get. Um, and they've got a lot of people in their ear. That I think Everett mentioned that. And uh, a lot of how you deal with them has to, is affected by the number of people in their ears. Um, 
have you noticed since there's been such a huge uh, seismic change, uh, first Everett and, and then Alexis, um, a difference in the mentality of the athlete uh, when you get a hold of them and start talking about professional sports? Uh, yeah, so, so my take um, is interesting because, and I don't even welcome or want these calls, but they come, they, I hear on NIL, I get a lot of NIL inquiries. And I just want to uh-huh. say that we're, we, it's, it's fair to say we're in a reactionary, we're still in a reactionary mode. This NIL thing came about, Supreme Court case, two years ago. It's not even two years till July. Right. Okay. Title IX has been around, you know, obviously 50 years. NIL is going to be a reactionary in a state of flux. But let me tell you something. The kids, and I've said this in the past, um, and I'm going to pick on the football players because that's, that's wh- who I know the best. Right. They are, very, they are very smart, number one. They're smarter than they've ever been. They're smarter than me and Duck were. <laughs> Putting myself back in Duck's era, they're smarter than you know ten years ago. And the reason for that is the power and the access of information. The access of information, and this is where the portal comes into play. So, so because of social media, I've got a really good friend of mine um, whose son is playing in the SEC. The other one is playing in the ACC, and I'm I'm watching, you know, the function of NIL is heavily based on your social media following because if I'm a corporation writing the check, I want to know that you have a following. That's part of the brand. That's part of your brand. So these kids now are in a position where they are so tuned into this business side, and this is where I mentioned before, and because of the portal, there has to be, there is a huge void right now for a training mechanism. You know, the NCAA can try to address it if they so choose, but the university, yep. uh, the university and everybody else have to collectively get involved here to educate these players on the business side of this. Otherwise, the game itself is going to take a bit of a hit. That's my concern. Okay, Alexis. Same question, and we've got about two minutes. If you if you can convince your your answer, um, have you seen a change in the mentality of the athletes since this freedom, this new freedom, uh, has uh, come into play in college sports, particularly football? So I I think that to truncate everything concisely, there is a change not only in the athletes but also in the coaches. So coaches okay. are no longer. Um, recruiting just high school. They recruit the transfer portal, okay? And players know that they have options. They used to not have options because everything was tied to the scholarship. I believe that the NIL has certainly helped and it's encouraged individuals to go and do and be. But keep in mind that at the end of the day, the player wants to play. And so as NILs go, yes, they can. They will go and, and, and switch over. Like you had the player from Pitt that went to um, USA, they'll switch over. But yeah. certainly some of these players are so savvy that they do not need 
your NIL deal to leave because they're media and they can get their own individual NIL deals, okay? And so because of their social media um, following. And so what it ends up happening is sometimes what because of the ability for a player to be able to be recruited from the transfer portal and the freedom that gives, that player now has, to, has more power to do what he wants to do. So when we're trying to talk about, oh, what we can do for you, that player may already have millions that they have access to, right? So the, the conversation has to change. It's not that they're looking for the NFL deal because they certainly have options now. We're looking at how can we best um, promote you and market you now and in the future and post um, your okay. NFL career. Yep. Okay, Princess? We're close to time, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna button it up right there. And thank you all a lot, Alexis Cobb, Everett Scott. We appreciate you. I I, I learn a lot um, every time you all are on it, and and I and thank you for taking the time to be with us tonight. It was absolutely a pleasure, and thank you for for having me. Yeah, yeah, Duck, Tim, anything you want to say um, before we get out of here? No, this has been very instructional. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. All right, we've got to get out of the way for the next show at 7 o'clock. We'll be back in about two minutes. Never had it so good. Sports Talk Radio. Again, a big thank you to Everett Scott and Alexis Cobb. You're welcome.